Are you tired of being broke? Do you struggle with debt? Are you ready for a change? If so, you found the right place. Welcome to the Proper Sense Podcast, where money doesn't talk, it works. My name is Eric, and I invite you to join me and my co-hosts, Keith and Nick, as we reveal the truth about how to succeed financially. Whether you're just beginning your journey or have many miles behind you, we're here to help. If you would like to follow or contact us, visit propersense.com. Welcome back to the Proper Sense Podcast, where money doesn't talk, it works. I'm Keith, and we are here today with both of my co-founders and fellow money nerds, Nick and Eric. Morning, guys. It's a beautiful day here where I'm at. What's going on in your world, Nick? I am looking out the window in Camas, Washington. I see the sun for the first time in about a month. You know, we are buried in snow. We've been quarantining, so it, so it feels good. It's, it smells like spring outside. Well, I'm right next door to you, so I, uh, I resonate with that. But Eric, you got a different story down there. Yeah, I'm here in uh, Arizona, and it's been beautiful, 70, 75, touching 80 every once in a while. You know, the reason why everybody comes down here at this time of year. Beautiful. Well, today's topic will resonate with us all, but most won't admit they're guilty of it. The broke stay broke by living like they're not. All right, so today we're going to cover a bunch of stuff, guys, from social media influence on personal finance to keeping up with the Joneses. But really, they all orbit this idea that being broke but spending like you aren't isn't a great financial plan. Uh, Nick, what, what do you think about that, just from your gut? So I phrase this as the act as if. So I, I know several people in my circle that act as if that they've made it. And sure, they might make a decent salary and have a decent home, but they, they live well beyond their means and they're skating on the brink where, you know, a, a, a bad event, a job loss, you know, a year like 2020 where no one knows what is happening can completely derail your plan and you never want to be skating on the brink of insolvency. So, so by acting as if that they've made it, they're, they're actually hindering their ability to get on sound financial footing. Eric, you down there in AZ, you must see a bunch of this with the fancy uh, trucks that match the fancy boats, and, and it must be curious to wonder what's going through people's mind, or maybe you just live, live in the land of riches down there. I don't know. No, you're spot on. Uh, we see it all the time. My family and I, we do, I, I admit, we, we bought a boat last year, but uh, it was a frugal purchase and uh, well within our means at the time. But we do spend a lot of time places like the lake and we see it one after another with, uh, you know, $250,000, $300,000 worth of probably debt rolling down the boat launch, getting on their, uh, their fancy boat and heading on out, um, you know, and just looking at the general slice of American financial literacy, it, it's pretty safe to bet that a number of those are leveraged to their teeth. Eric, how would you define a frugal boat purchase? I've, I've never heard anyone talk like that. Don't, don't buy one at all? Yes, uh, it is true. A boat is an expense. It is an ongoing expense. If you, if you buy things like, a, like most people buy things or many people buy things, which is they go to the car dealership, they go to 
you know, their mortgage broker and they determine how much they can pay a month and fit it into their monthly income, then yes, you're going to have a hard time because you're going to have a $2,000 expense here, a $500 expense here. You're going to have things that pop up constantly. If you have the cash and it's not earmarked for other things and you have your investments on autopilot and you are funded on your emergency fund and you can walk in and write a check for the boat, then I would call that a frugal boat purchase so, so Eric's made the first baby step and gotten himself a boat, but I think to really be cool down there, the graphics of the boat have to match the truck and the trailer, and then, then you need the house and the barn to store it and the jet skis that, that tow on the secondary truck behind it. It's, it's sort of a package deal once you start getting into it. Oh, yes, 100%. It's a, it's a rabbit hole, and it, lead, it, it falls into a lot of the money categories and the mistakes people make because... It's like anything else. You get your first car and you start driving around and it's the greatest thing you've ever had because you went from no car to a car, which is actually about 95% of the jump. But then once you get used to your car, you start to see the paint's not as good. It doesn't have the power windows. It's not an automatic. It doesn't have the seat warmers. There's no AC, blah, blah, blah. And pretty soon you start getting car envy. And the same thing happens on the lake. You start off, you get the boat, which the difference between going from no boat to a boat is pretty much the whole thing. But then once you start to see all the big fancy boats out there, then yeah, pretty soon you start thinking about, you know, mortgaging your house and making a horrible financial decision because you want a little bit better color to match the truck that you're pulling it with. So Eric, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading Atomic Habits and uh, it's a great book and there's a name for what you're talking about here. Like, like if you buy a brand new boat and you drive a 1986 Buick that's towing this boat, well, all of a sudden your, your 1986 Buick, which you might have loved pre-boat purchase, suddenly is a freaking eyesore next to this monstrosity. So you go and buy a 2021 Tahoe and now you've bought the boat, which dovetailed into the Tahoe, which maybe you're... Your uh, wakeboarding and, and, and your ensemble that you have on the boat, your speakers on the like you, you just tend to it's a snowball effect. Like your your boat becomes the Tahoe, the Tahoe becomes your attire, and it just becomes a a, a runaway freight train of of lighting money on fire. Yep, that's all uh, that's all good stuff and very true and actually a perfect segues into kind of today and what what the topic is. So let's just uh, jump both feet into here and get into the specificity of what we want to cover. Uh, Eric, let's start with you. You're kind of an interesting case in this deal, and I think that you're kind of the panel expert on this topic generally, just because you've been broke as shit before. Uh, but I think that because you didn't spend and live like you weren't, uh, that sort of makes you the uh, the panel expert. Talk to me about that. Sure. So first off, I'll start by saying I love the title of this, The Broke Stay Broke by Living Like They're Not. Uh, because it it resonates with me because I've I've lived like that I I've done that I've made those mistakes. My wife and I, girlfriend at the time, met in college and after school she got a job down in Los Angeles. I didn't have anything better to do, so I moved down there. We both got jobs and we lived at the edge. We had you know a small income coming in between the two of us, two entry level jobs. We paid our bills on time. We had good credit scores. And so what did we have? We had relatively high credit card limits. 
And we kept getting them and we kept grabbing them and taking them out of the mail and signing up for a new one and using it over here. And we really did fall into that, that keeping up with the Joneses. You know, here we are in Los Angeles. It's an absolutely vibrant place to be. There's so many things to do. There's so many perceived rich people. There's absolutely a lot of rich people, but there's a lot of people trying to be rich. And so it's easy to fall into that mindset when you're out with your buddies and they're trying to one up each other on what type of whiskey they're going to drink, you know, all the way to what kind of car you're going to drink. So long story short, we found ourselves absolutely in debt up to our eyeballs. Well, we were moving to the next stage of our life, talking about getting married, wanted to have kids and go through uh, that process. And we knew we were carrying this giant anchor. And around that time, I came across somebody that if you spend any time in the personal finance space, you've probably heard of him. But his name is Dave Ramsey, and he specializes, his, his, his uh, expertise really has to do with uh, getting out of debt. But he's not like your typical, you know, oh, you know, pay a little bit more towards the highest interest rate credit card, make sure you've got a payment plan, save him for retirement. He's a he's a debt boot camp type guy. You start here, you change your entire life, you live like nothing. You eat rice and beans, I think is what he calls it. And you take every single available dollar and you pay off your debt with it. Well, my wife and I bought in. We bought it hook, line, and sinker, and we did it. And we did it, and it was hard, and it took us two years. But when we came out the other side, not only had we readjusted our financial situation by paying off all of our credit cards, student loans, car payments, you know, we probably owed something on a mattress at one point. Um, We came out with that all gone, but the thing we didn't anticipate is our financial muscles were really, really strong. So that enabled us over the next coming years when we started having kids. You know, I found myself unemployed a couple times from some layoffs. Uh, At one point when my wife was pregnant with our second child and I lost my job, so we had no money coming in. But because of that intensity that we had done, because of those financial muscles that we had built, we didn't have any debt. We were able to slim our entire budget down to absolutely bare minimum, and we were able to ride it out off of savings. And that enabled me to start a business that later became our main source of income, and we sold it at one point. Um, It just opened the door for opportunities, whereas if I had still had those credit card bills, had student loans, had car payments, I would have had to just rush out and take the first job that would pay me just to maintain the minimal amount of stuff that we had. So I started on the end, living high on the hog. Um, you know, what do they, what do they say at all, all hat, no cattle, um, copying everybody around us, um, keeping up with the Joneses and through forced, situation, we were able to transition. And by looking at money differently, by learning how to manage it appropriately, we were able to open up opportunities that would have never been available to us. Yeah, Roger that. So although Eric, you were able to kind of pull yourself out of some bad habits, Nick, uh, not too far off from your story, it sounds like you kind of came out of college and uh, were doing well for yourself, but also kind of bought into that uh, needing the new fancy stuff, kind of watch what your neighbors were doing. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so so first I want to hit on something Eric said that was very astute, where he mentioned having, um, when, when he was unemployable and lost his job, 
that his monthly net was so low that he had a buffer to start a business. And that, that really hits home for me, and I don't want to derail this too much, but, but I think this could be a topic in itself, that having um, a low monthly nut, as they call it, or no debt, sure, that's great from a financial standpoint, but also it, it allows you to take risk. Like I am a business owner myself, and if I had a huge mortgage, a bunch of, of loans, an expensive car, car loan, I, I might not have been able to have the foundation to not take income for a year or two and start a business. So I think that's something that, that we can come back to. But as for my own story, you know, I, I wasn't like destitute or anything. I, I got a job pretty quickly at, out of college. I was a finance major. Um, but my, my base was coming off of nothing. Like, like the most money that I ever made was working at a houseboy, like working a houseboy job in college. And I made 500 bucks a month which I think I did the math a couple years ago, and I, I think I made it like $2.50 an hour, which is uh, well well below the legal limit. Um, so after I graduated, I actually got a job making forty grand a year, which, you know, is, is fine for a college graduate. But to me, like I had just signed a multi-year NBA contract. Like I had several thousand rolling in. And, and from a relative standpoint, I've never felt more rich in my life. Like, even though I still had student loans, I still was paying rent. I lived in downtown Portland. So I actually went out with, with my dad and, and I'll never forget this. I, I bought a brand new 2005 Jeep Grand Cherokee. I mean, this thing was sweet. It was the premium package. My, my, like my dad was actually upselling me on the lot. Like, Oh, so on that, that base model's terrible. You should look at the premium. So I ended up just fleecing money. I didn't negotiate. I didn't know anything about how these car dealers snake you into these 60-year term loans. And like, I, I was a fish. So I, I end up saddling myself with like a $750 a month payment on this car. And c- coupled with my rent, like I, I literally was spending every last dime that I made. And it, it was because that I, I honestly felt like I was making more money than I ever had. I, n- I never had a budget. I never had to think about money. And when I look back on those years, it, it was just a, a lack of understanding. It was a lack of a personal finance baseline. I, I, I had nothing to work off of. So fast forward a few more years, I start to ascend in my career. And, you know, I, I got married at 30. So, so that's probably, you know, a few years before that, I, I, I started to get serious. And I, and I put together a budget and started sa- I started saving for retirement. And like, I just got sick of having no money in my savings account. Like that, that's what compelled me to do something. Like I look back and I calculated what, what I had made, uh, for the first five years that I had been out of college and it was a, a, a decent amount of money, but I had nothing to show for it. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, just kind of dependent on who you ask kind of depends on their experiences, but I think it's obvious at the end of this, that, uh, we've all got stuff we can be working on financially speaking. So the broke stay broke by living like they're not. Nick, this sounds similar to the proverbial keeping up with the Joneses, doesn't it? Uh, you know something about that. That sounded like a uh, loaded statement, Keith. But uh, yeah, so so keeping up with the Joneses is uh, kind of a, a reference to humans being tribal beings, right? So like back when we were hunting with spears and, and knives and swords and all that, if you became separated from your tribe, it meant death. 
And from a social standpoint, we've been conditioned to mirror, essentially, those that are closest to us. So the, this has been a, an explosion in, the, in, in this movement as well with the advent of, of social media. Because back in like the 80s, if you lived in Detroit, you, know, you, you probably worked at the Ford plant and so did your neighbors. You probably wore the same clothes, lived in the same type of house, and had the same type of car. It was very comfortable. You were essentially mirroring your neighbors. So the, the feeling of keeping, up, of keeping up with the Joneses was muted. But now I can, I can get on my phone or get on my laptop and I can compare myself socially and financially with literally millions of people. And if, if you've used social media in any capacity, you know that most people post the highlight reel of their lives and the lavish vacations and, you know, the shopping sprees and the country clubs and all that. And, and suddenly, if it, let's say you're down on your luck or you're comparing yourself to the highlight reel of someone's life you can feel like you are a piece of shit. So that might compel you to go out and buy stuff, buy, buy a new car, buy, buy new clothes, because again, we're, we're social tribal beings and we want to feel like we belong. Yeah, and so when we break this down, it actually kind of what you're saying, Nick, it seems oxymoronic. Like on the one end, evolution has taught us, and I think that uh, Eric can speak to this more directly, uh, but to kind of look around and do what other people are doing because that must be what works. But at the end of the day, it's actually uh, negatively affecting our decision making and, and putting us in a worse financial position moving forward. Eric, you got thoughts on that? Yeah, I think Nick started to touch on the point that I was going to make there. Uh, you know, it goes all the way back to our days on the plains and cavemen and that sort of stuff. You know, we, we are living in a modern society with a prehistoric brain. Evolution takes a long time to adjust in our bodies, uh, especially in the, when it pertains to the psychology and how we process information. So, you know, for most of humanity, it was important to look around those that were around you and mimic their actions. You know, as a child... How are you supposed to know if these red berries are good to eat unless you watch your mom and dad do it? Uh, so we're, we're sort of swimming upstream a bit because we're, we're, we have our cavemen brains still, uh, but we're in modern society. You know, you can see it in examples like advertisements. Look, look at the news. Watch, watch the, well, you watch the news, it's pretty much just going to be drug commercials. But if you watch anything modern today take apple right arguably one of the best ad campaigns or multiple ad campaigns over the last decade or two are they sitting there telling you about how fast the processor is or what level snapdragon cpu is in the phone no they're showing you a video or a montage or singing a song about someone that you can relate to and they're showing how good their life is. And they're making you think, all I need is this item and then my life will look like that too. So, you know, we, like I said, we're sw swimming upstream. It's, it's a caveman psychology. That's the tools that we're equipped with. And we are stuck looking at things all around us all day that are giving us the trigger to buy. And the neighbors down the street with the new boat, with the fancy cars, with the remodeled outside and the lavish parties is just another example of how difficult it is to overcome those uh, sort of prehistoric psychological tendencies. Yeah, absolutely. So if evolution is sort of changing in our caveman 
brains aren't working in our favor uh, anymore. Let's get tangible here. So if we shouldn't be looking to our neighbors for financial directives just on what they're posting on social media, Eric, what the heck should we be doing? You need to live your own life. You need to figure out what that looks like. You need to understand things like money doesn't buy happiness. It can certainly help, uh, makes life a little bit more fun, and it adds a level of security that probably isn't there for people that don't have it, which is a big part of being happy. But you need to understand that the Jones are broke. Half of America can't put together $1,000 to pay for an emergency. They got to put it on a credit card or borrow it from somewhere or take it out of a retirement account. So... They're not what they look like. Nick touched on it earlier, uh, talking about social media, and that's a prime example. That's just all of this stuff on steroids. You know, we are living in a society now where you see 5% of everyone else's life, but it's a curated top 5% of their life. And if you're not sure if that's what's going on, look at your own feed. If you post things on social media, are you posting about the last time you got in an argument with your spouse or when your kid got caught stealing something from the cafeteria at school? Probably not. You're doing the same thing. And so we're living in this this, this hyper society where all we're seeing is the best of what everybody else has. And if you want to talk about how to get out of that, you have to start by recognizing that's what's going on and you have to identify what's important in your life and to drown out the noise. Yeah, Eric, and I think there's a couple other things that I would point out there. One, people are so self-absorbed. Like, they're, like even if you buy nice shit, most people don't even notice anyway because they're worried about themselves. And then the second part of that is people won't like you because you have nice shit. Like that's kind of the assumption. Like, oh, if I buy, if I buy a new car, um, you know, that's just as nice as my neighbors. You know, I'm going to be part of this club. It's like people like you because you listen. You're a good person and you're respectful. You know, whatever makes you you, that's the reason that your friends want to be friends with you. Um, <clears throat> and then kind of piggybacking off of that, just just play your own game. Like what's, what works for your neighbor, what works for your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend on social media, what works for your brother-in-law's family might not work for you, okay? So identify the game that you're playing. And, and I always like to say that wealth is what you don't see. Like when you see someone with a nice car, like you can make some assumptions. Yeah, that person has pretty good income. They uh, qualified to take out a loan to buy that car. So they must have you know, some, some sort of level of, of wealth, and they might even be rich. But wealth is really what you don't see. It's the investment accounts. It's the 401k. It's the equity that you have in your home. It's the lack of debt on your balance sheet. Like those things, that's what true wealth is. And that's never going to come across just because you drive a brand new Beamer. And just like in personal finance, always be compounding, right? Well, the, uh, the truth of it is, is bad decisions also compound. Eric, you talked about 50% or so of Americans, and I actually think it's much higher than that, couldn't put $1,000 together uh, in a pinch and would have to rely on a credit card. And I think we can all understand that the worst time to borrow is when you're in a financial pinch, right? So I think what you guys are saying, uh, I'll paraphrase Dave Ramsey here, is people buy shit they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. Keith drops the mic. That's well said, Keith. All right, so this all sounds real good and great, but for the people who are actually listening to us today uh, who are maybe identifying now as trying to keep up with the Joneses if they can be so honest with themselves. Eric, do you have any actual tangible steps uh, outside of just uh, the discussion that we had 
that can be taken today, whether it's eight or two, or you know, just coming to Jesus and being honest with your financial situation, what can people do today in order to start breaking this funk and breaking this, uh, these bad habits and start looking for a better future? Well, we kind of touched on it um, a little bit ago, talking about you know, play your own game, I think is the way Nick said it. Um, live your own life is what I was saying. You need to identify what it is that brings you happiness in your life. I, I, I want to I go a little bit further on a, an example Nick said earlier, talking about a car or something, somebody that, that, you know, looking at somebody that bought a new car. One of the examples I like to use is, I call it the Ferrari example. If you're a car person and you think Ferraris are cool and you see somebody driving down the road in a Ferrari and you're thinking about how awesome you would be and what, how, how happy that would make you and how everyone else would view you. They would think you were so cool if you had that Ferrari. But the thing is, is you're not even thinking about how cool the person driving that Ferrari is at that moment. You're only thinking about yourself and what other people would perceive you as. You're doing the exact same thing. And if you had that Ferrari, people are not driving down the road thinking you're cool. They're thinking about how cool you would think they were if they were in that Ferrari. So it's kind of like what you said, trying to impress people that you don't care about with money you don't have. That's, that's it. I mean, as, as uh, when your financial literacy is high enough as well, and you see somebody like that in the Ferrari pulling up, valet parking, walking into the restaurant, you're smart enough to know that it's a high probability that they don't actually have a lot of wealth. They're either spending a lot of money because they just came into it. They might be renting it. They might be leasing it. There are some people that do have it, but it works against you in that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think that the takeaway or as far as actionable steps, you need to really identify what makes you happy. You need to figure out what type of resources it's going to take to get you there. And then you need to start to put together an action plan, such as whether it's budgeting, saving, paying off debt, you know, building for retirement, those sort of things. And those are things that, you know, we talk about all the time here on this podcast and we will cover extensively in the future as well. And so Nick, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, Eric, all of that is is 100% right. But I feel like people will throw out these generic goals like, oh, you know, my plan is to not have any debt by, by, by the end of the year. And that's all well and good. That's a fine end goal. But if you keep the same processes, the same systems in place, and the same behaviors, then that's just a fantasy land goal. Like that's, that's not going to happen. Like you need to commit take ownership of the entire process and really change who you are from, from a financial standpoint, right? So looking at all of your behaviors, changing your systems and just changing the way that you think about yourself. Like I can say, I'm going to save a hundred dollars this month. Okay. That's, that's fine. That, that kind of comes off like, yeah, I'm going to try to save a hundred bucks, but I really am still a spender. But if you shift your mindset, mindset and say, I'm a saver, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's an identity change. So that's great to have goals, but you need to first start with the identity change. Second, change your processes, change your systems, and change your behaviors. That will lend itself to reaching your goals. I, I, love, the, the, I love that example because in um, budgeting, we teach about prioritizing 
different things. So the way most people, when they actually get down to writing a budget, they start with their income, they write their expenses, and then whatever left over, then they start to add those to the category, right? They, are, they start to add that to the savings category, whatever's left. And that is, while that's better than not having a budget, that is the mindset of a spender. The mindset of a saver reorganizes that list. You start with income, you put your savings goals, and then you are allowed to spend the rest. And so just that subtle shift in mindset, like you're talking about, where you move from being somebody that thinks you can save whatever you didn't spend for the month versus, well, this is how much I'm going to save, and then I'm going to build my life around whatever is left. And that subtle shift, like you're talking about, is the thing that over time compounds and moves financial mountains. And for, for those of you listening that uh, picked up some good stuff today that are, are saying, okay, maybe this is me. Maybe I, I do have some of these problems and I need to kind of take focus to that. Uh, this is what we do at Proper Sense and, and we're happy to kind of walk you through this. And so we invite you back next week to continue to listen to this and, and get your financial matters in order because it's okay to, to know that you don't know everything and, uh, and reach out for some help. And so Nick, real quick, what would you say to people uh, that may be embarrassed or, or just don't want to acknowledge their financial situations or, or uh, don't have time, they think, to read books on this or really study up on it? Aside, of course, from paying attention to what the three of us are kind of preaching here, uh, how important is it to understand what you don't know and reach out uh, to, to people that can help, whether that's family or professional or otherwise? Well, for, for complex issues like this, um, I, I, like to, I like to invert the problem. So, so ask yourself, what if you continue on your current path, which is often a much worse outcome than being embarrassed in the short term? Like, it, like it's okay to ask for help. Like we, what's confounding in the U.S., we have no formal education system that addresses personal finance. Like we're, we're left to figure it out on our own. True, it's not 1980 anymore. Like we don't have to slug down to the library and check out a book in the snow. You know, we're privy to our cell phone and our laptop. So, so the information is out there, but you need to understand that good habits can compound and bad habits also can compound. And if you continue on your current path, one day you're going to wake up at 55 years old, have nothing safe for retirement, uh, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, and it's, it's, it's never too late, but that's, that's a horrible place to be. So make the tough decisions now to better your future. Eric, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Find your enough. That's a term that I've come to absorb recently, and I love it. It's, it's short, it's sweet, um, and it means that there's always going to be something on the horizon. There's always going to be somebody that makes more money. There's always going to be somebody who has a bigger house. There's always going to be a better car, a promotion. There's That's never going to end unless you're Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos duking it out for the richest person, depending on stock price today. There's always going to be somebody that has more than you. And so true happiness is found in loving what you have instead of lusting after something that you want. And so I always like to tell people, think about in the past when you thought forward what you wanted your life to be. 
There's a good chance that the life you're living right now is a version that your previous self thought was enough. But once you got to that, you started looking to the next horizon. So when I say find your enough, it means find what is enough to make you happy and make you satisfied and make you safe and comfortable and be able to do the things that you want with the people that matter the most. And then build around that. It doesn't mean you have to stop improving. It doesn't mean you have to stop gaining wealth or, or getting nicer houses or nicer things. It means at a certain point, teach yourself or learn how to become satisfied with what you have because otherwise you will be on a perpetual treadmill and you will never get to the end of it. And one day you're going to die. So find what makes you happy, build your life around that, and then expand from there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's it right there. Be happy with the now. And uh, if you want something in the future, put a plan together and start building around that. And that's exactly what uh, we're doing here at Proper Sense is helping you roadmap that out. And next week, we're hoping to dive into a more specific topics. Uh, if anybody out there uh, would like us to, to dive specifically into something, please just write us. But in the meantime, guys, remember, be a money nerd. Being a nerd is cool. So ride along with us next week in another Proper Sense podcast. And be sure to check us out at propersense.com.